Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Jenna Kahlo. Here's a bottle of liquor. Y'all can just chill at the bar. We'll figure this out. We'll let you out soon. (laughs) That and more. But first, I want to ask you guys a question. Have you ever looked at the episode descriptions in your podcast player? I usually use Overcast, so I'm looking at an episode of Risk right now, uh, the episode called Turnaround from June 16th. Now, if you scroll down, it goes beyond describing the episode, and it gives links to things that you want to get involved with us with. For example, you can support Risk on Patreon at patreon.com slash risk. That's listed there. Making a one-time donation to Risk at paypal.me slash risk show. Getting tickets to Risk live shows at risk-show.com slash tour. Getting the Risk book at theriskbook.com. Taking storytelling classes at thestorystudio.org. Hiring me to make personalized videos for you at cameo.com com slash the Kevin Allison and hiring me as a coach at kevinallison.com. So remember that. Remember to look at the episode descriptions for links to all the relevant things for getting engaged with us here and interacting with us here and supporting us here. Of course, the primary way that people support us is over at patreon.com slash risk and this week i need to give big shout outs to the following people valerie fenwick samantha Campanatico, edwin ho hannah seeger and john gasper we always give a big shout out to anyone who has given $25 per month or more over at our Patreon. And as you know, we have never needed it quite so much as we need it right now. This is really helping us out profoundly that, you know, our community out there is looking to save risk, looking to help us last as long as we possibly can. You know, we know that this current crisis will eventually, (laughs) Jesus God, eventually be over. Uh, But in the meantime, we need all the help we can get to keep this ship afloat. So we are at patreon.com slash risk. If you're already a patron and you are able to afford upping the amount you're giving there, that is wonderful as well. Last week, we did a beautiful compilation. John LaSala, our audio editor, edited together four anecdotes that Risk fans sent in for the show uh, that you can only hear on Patreon. This week, we're going to be uploading an interview with Wes Hazard, uh, one of our teachers over at the Story Studio and someone who's been fabulous every time he's been on the podcast. So there's always great bonus content over at Patreon dot com slash risk and of course if you help us over there you'll keep hearing us over here <laughs> imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with bull and branches organic cotton sheets in a recent customer survey 96 percent replied that bull and branches sheets get softer with every wash start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come try their sheets with a 30 night guarantee plus 15 percent off your first order at bullandbranch.com code odyssey exclusions apply see site for details
Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Okay, now here's the show. Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is Kamasi Washington. Behind me now, we are calling this week's episode Lightning Strikes. I will tell you, in 2020, it really is a day-by-day ups and downs craziness. You know, I'll go from one day, like last Wednesday, I was so, so depressed that it was palpable. It was, it was a very physical thing. It was as if my whole body was, I don't know, weighed down by depression. And then there are other days, especially days when I go out to protest that I'll feel exhilarated, you know, uh, uh, thrilled, inspired. Our live streams are definitely times when I feel turned on and lit up and hopeful and all of that sort of thing. I'll tell you, uh, I know so many people who are struggling right now because they're dealing with tough times with their parents, with the elderly members of their families and now i am too my father is very ill and now it's really a day by day thing that we're kind of holding our breath about um but i'll tell you one of the things that i'm doing in order to keep oh i don't know just keep hopeful and 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 keep on a positive bent is educating myself i'm i'm reading a book now called how to be an anti-racist by ibram x kendi a really really illuminating book next one i want to read is called so you want to talk about race by Ijeoma oluo um i'll tell you i've been watching a lot of documentaries 
One called Black Panthers, Vanguard of the Revolution. Another one called I Am Not Your Negro, about James Baldwin and uh, the Black Power mixtape. But I'll tell you, the learning process gives me hope. And I think the more of us that are doing that, the better. Um, I never read the entire book, A People's History of the United States, but I do remember reading parts of it. And now I want to go back and read the whole thing. I remember being really impressed by the way that that book seemed to be suggesting that the great things that did happen in the history of the United States, the things that happened that gave us this idea of America that we value and believe in, were always because of uprisings and movements. You know, it was never like women getting the right to vote, slavery being abolished, the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, gay liberation, all of these things happened because of social movements and uprisings not because <laughs> those with all the wealth and power were like yeah fuck it let's give women the right to vote this week no 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 every step along the way to create the america that we thought we were living in to create the america that we believed our education that this place was all of that was very, very hard won. And so I've been seeing a couple of historians on Twitter this past week saying, now, wait a minute, folks. <laughs> what we're experiencing right now in 2020 is one of the biggest of these sorts of uprisings and movements ever. So that should give you hope. Historians are telling us, hold on, folks. Yeah, it is dark right now, but please be aware that the very best developments in the history of this country came about because of movements like what is going on right now. So it is very important to keep it up. Don't forget we're talking about this sort of stuff over at the Risk Podcast Fans Discussion Group on Facebook. And I'm talking about everything imaginable on Subtext, this service where... I send out texts, you know, six days of the week. I took off today on Sunday. And uh, anyone who receives the text can text me back, and I'm the only one who sees that, and then I can start chatting with that individual. So, you know, the first two weeks are free. Then if you like it and want to keep it, it's five bucks a month. You can text anything to 347-252-9616 or go to joinsubtext.com slash risk show if you want in on that. In a little bit, we're going to hear from the remarkable Amber Rollo, who told a story at one of our live streams a couple weeks back that was unforgettable. Before that, a story from Jay Carpenter, a risk fan, sent us in a remarkable story. And before that, we're going to hear from Jenna Kahlo. This story was told at Caveat, back when we were still doing shows in front of live audiences in rooms. <laughs> it's funny that that requires so much explanation now. Okay, anyway, here is Jenna Kahlo with a story we call In the Mood for Love.
So, several years ago, I was in my first real adult relationship. Unfortunately, it was long distance. He was in LA, I was in New York. But I was excited because we had been doing this situationship bullshit for many years. And I was like, all right, we finally committed to doing this thing. Now, it's over the holidays, and he tells me that he's coming to New Jersey to spend Christmas with his family, and he's not going to see me. And I'm like, you know, I just, I really don't believe this, because you're coming all the way from L.A. to New Jersey, and you're not going to pop over into New York. I'm like, I haven't seen you since October. I just, I don't believe this is actually going to happen. So I'm thinking back to just our situationship bullshit and all that stuff, and I remember that he has done this before, where he's told me, I'm, I can't come to see you because something happened, I'm gonna be late, and he's always surprised me. So I'm like, yes, this is it. This is my Christmas gift. He's going to surprise me, and he's gonna tell me that he can't come because there is no way that he's going to come all the way down here and not see me. So as Christmas passes, I'm looking over my shoulder, looking to see where he is. I'm checking out on Foursquare because it was that many years ago, and I'm just like, I'm here just in case you need to know where I am. And a couple days after Christmas, I'm in my room on Facebook compulsively refreshing that news feed. And I see all of the different statuses about, you know, engagements and babies and all of these things. And then I see his status pop up and it says, check in LAX. And I'm like, nah, this is how he's going to get me. I have to really believe that he is in LA. So I wait for him to ask me where I am. And he doesn't. And then I call him and he's like, oh. You know, I'm going out with my friends. We're going to go play volleyball. And I'll just, I'll call you tomorrow. We have all this volleyball stuff that we're doing today. And I realize he is just not coming. Like, it's not happening. So I am committed to just having a good holiday season. My friends have invited me to this New Year's party. And it's going to be like a small group. We've rented out a bar, people that I know from college. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to salvage this holiday season. So I'm there talking to people. And there's a guy that I had gone to school with that I barely talked to, but I look at him and I'm just like, wow, you know, you've grown up well. Like, he kind of looks like when Ryan Reynolds decided that he was gonna be hot and committed to being hot <laughs> because, you know, like he has a little hair swoop and he has like these beautiful eyes and this chiseled jaw and he had been working out, so he had that little like, you know, triangle physique. And I was like, all right, whatever. So we're talking and he's like, yeah, you know, my girlfriend is in Atlanta and it really sucks. And I'm like, yeah, my boyfriend is in LA, it really sucks. And we're just commiserating, going back and forth, just joking and whatnot. So after a little bit, I'm like, you know what? I'm ready to go home. I'm gonna go outside, I'm gonna try and catch a cab. And I'm out there trying to catch a cab. I don't know if you tried to catch a cab on New Year's in New York. It's like, you know, wanting to see the G train more than once in an hour. It might happen, it might not. Most likely it will not. And this is back before Uber and Lyft, so it was definitely not happening. So cabs are going by, nothing is happening. 30 minutes pass, and that same man comes out and he's like, hey, any luck with that cab? And I'm like, obviously not, because I'm still standing here. <laughs> and he's like, oh, you're funny. How about this? You know, I'm still trying to catch a cab. You're trying to catch a cab. If we get one, why don't we just share a cab? And I'm like, sure. And honestly, I was thinking, you're a white man. You will most likely catch a cab before me. So I will take the cab with you. 
So he's looking, I'm looking, nothing is working. We move down to a main street, again, nothing is working. Now it is starting to snow. And back in those days, I am what I like to call an I'm cold girl, which means that you know I sacrifice warmth for fashion. So I'm wearing these shorts, I have the heels on, I have a jacket, but I'm fucking cold. And I've been outside for about an hour. So we're still walking, no cab, and I look up and I see this beacon of light that says, bar and open. And I say, do you wanna just pop in there for a drink real quick? Maybe if we wait for like an hour, it'll be better. He's like, sure. So we go in and we're talking, we pick up the conversation, and you know, we start talking about our significant others and all this bullshit. And he's like, you know, I'm always the one that reaches out to her, I make all the plans. And I'm like, oh my God, me too, because I'm drunk. I'm like, oh my God, me too, I'm always the one. I text him first, and I'm like, do you wanna hang out? Do you wanna talk to me? He just like never is interested. And I tell him, I called him for New Year's and he didn't even pick up. And he's like, I called my girlfriend for New Year's and she didn't pick up and we're on the same coast. And I was like, well, I bet you saw her for Christmas. And he was like, you didn't see your boyfriend for Christmas? And I was like, no. He came all the way out to Jersey, told me he had no plans between Christmas and New Year's and did not want to come into the city to see me. And this man looked at me and he said, you mean to tell me that this man had this beautiful woman just across the bridge and he didn't even go over to say hello? And I was like, oh shit. Like SOS, this is a situation. <laughs> Ooh. Oh God. So now, all of those attributes that I had mentioned before, they started to pop. So you know, that little swoosh was silky as shit. His eyes, woo, they were sparkling. That jaw was super chiseled. His pecs were popping out of his shirt. And I saw like a little bit of hair here and I'm like, oh, you little hairy bear. Oh God, you fine as shit. I need to go. I need to leave because this is gonna be a problem. So I say, I'm gonna close out, you know, I'm gonna try and see if I can get a cab or I'm gonna just take the, the train. So we walk out to the front of the bar, there's mad people out there, and the bartender's like, hold on one second, let me unlock the door. Strange, the door's locked, but whatever. So <laughs> she's trying to unlock the door, she's doing all this shit, she's putting in different keys, she's pulling on shit, some other person comes in, they're doing the same shit. We're standing there for 10 minutes. We're like, what the fuck is going on? She's like, I'm so sorry. Um, let me take y'all out the back. So we go around through the kitchen. We go to the back. The same procedure. They're jiggling shit, putting different keys. Another person comes in, they're kicking things. Nothing is happening. She looks at me, I look at her, I look at him. We all look at each other. And she's just like, look, I'm really sorry. We have to call somebody about this. Here's a bottle of liquor. Y'all can just chill at the bar. We'll figure this out, we'll let you out soon. <laughs> Now, now, under any other circumstance, if I was to be trapped in a bar with a hot man and free liquor, I would be super elated. But under this circumstance, I was like, oh, hell motherfucking no. But I will deal with this. So I'm trying to think of the most mundane conversations I can have to just try to make me not attracted to him, him not attracted to me. And you know, we stand at the bar, we have our bottle, we're talking, and you know, he looks at me and he does this thing where like he's looking at me and his eyes change and it goes from him looking at me to just taking me all in because he's looking me up and down and I'm like, oh shit, oh shit. And he says, can I tell you something? Sure. He's like, you know, this whole night, all I've been thinking about is just how sexy your legs are. 
And I was like, oh, thank you. I work on these legs. Thank you. Because <laughs> um, I'm trying to use humor to deflect. So then he says to me, as he moves closer, you know, and I've been thinking about how all I really want to do is just kiss up and down your thighs. And I was like, oh, that is extremely direct. But thank you as well. Um, so now he gets closer. And, you know, he puts his hand on the small of my back and he's talking into my neck. And I just feel like his lips like slowly just grazing my neck and my ear. And I feel his hot breath as he says to me, I just want to taste you. And I was like, that is extremely direct. Okay. Wow. So now all of those attributes that I had mentioned again, they have popped out even more. And I'm like, oh my God. The other thing I need to mention is that your girl here has not been touched by a hand that's not her own since October. <laughs> has not heard these words in person since October. It is January 1st. That is a long time. So I'm kind of like rocking back and forth with him as he's talking to me and he's telling me what he wants to do to me with his hands and his fingers and his mouth and all of these things. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so great, but this is terrible, I can't do this. But this is so great, but please keep talking. And I'm just rocking back and forth and back and forth and I'm just drunk on his words and, and just on just the feeling of like his skin on mine. And then I hear the words I needed to hear. We got it open. And I was like, yes, I gotta go. So I, I run out to the front, he follows me, I run outside, I put my hand up, a cab immediately stops, never happens. Jump into the cab and I say, we're going to 231st and Broadway. The door is still open and the dude, he's looking inside the cab, then he gets inside the car and I said, where do you live? He said, Columbus Circle. I said, bet, we're making two stops, Columbus Circle and 231st and Broadway. The cab driver says, no ma'am, we're making one stop, 231st and Broadway. And I'm like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> we are all the way down in LES. That is a far ride. This is absolutely absurd. So now we have this long, long ride all the way up to the Bronx. And he has a hand on my thigh and he's looking at me and I'm looking at him and he's inching towards me and I'm not moving away. And I'm just like, fuck it, this is just gonna happen because the Bronx is fucking far. So he moves in, he kisses me and I'm like, I'm doing this. So we are just disgusting in this cab. You know, we're rolling in the left and the right. I swear the cab driver probably thinks this is like taxi cab confessions or some like punk bullshit. But we just don't care. We get to my house, we roll out of the car, we get to my apartment, and pretty much everything he said he was gonna do, he did, and I was like, yes, I am here for this, because again, your girl has not been touched by a hand that's not her own since October, and it is January 1st. So, we get to the point where we're finally about to have sex, and he's like, ah, ah, hold on one second, I'm sorry, hold on, just, ah, ah, hold on, ah, I'm sorry. Ah. I'm, I'm really sorry, I think I drank too much. And I was like, ah, well, you know, okay, I guess that's fine, whatever, that's fine. You know, we'll just resume in the morning. So we go to sleep, we wake up. Next morning, it is painfully bright. I look to my left, there's this gorgeous man in my bed who is not my boyfriend. And I was like, oh shit. And the realization kind of comes over me. He looks at me and I see his face kind of change a little bit too. So I'm thinking he's having the same thoughts. So we have that conversation of like, I don't normally do this. And I'm like, I don't normally do this. He's like, I've never done this. I'm like, I've never done this. Like, I am not this person. I don't do this at all. He's like, oh, are you going to tell your boyfriend? And I'm like, no. Are you going to tell your girlfriend? He's like, no. And I was like, well, I think it was kind of a good thing that, you know, you weren't able to get it up. Like, Whiskey Dick really saved the night tonight. And he was like, yeah, you know, I think that's a good thing because I feel shitty. I'm like, I feel shitty too, and I feel much worse if we actually had sex. 
So he goes off, I go off, and you know, I'm kind of like thinking about this situation and I'm thinking about how I was before it because before, whenever a person would tell me, you know, this such and such thing, it just happened, whatever just happened, I would say, no, we are rational adults, we make decisions, we are intentional, things don't just happen. After the situation, I realized that we are rational adults who make decisions, but sometimes the universe gives you a little nudge. Thank you. I am being bathed in the brightest, whitest light I have ever before or will ever experience. The light is so bright that I swear I can feel it tingling in my teeth and rattling the bones in my skull. And the light is so bright that everything around me becomes erased. There's no furniture, there's no walls, there's no objects of any kind just white and due to everything being erased I start to feel like I'm levitating off the bed on which I'm sitting because I'm so disoriented by all this and for a moment I don't even know where I am where I am is my bedroom in my parents house I'm about 10 years old it's about 8 o'clock at night I've been sent to bed early there's a summer hailstorm going on and I'm gazing out of my bedroom window and I know that my mother and my brother are doing the same from their bedroom windows my father's out in the living room because he has not been sent to bed early and I'm getting really excited because I'm listening to the crashing thunder and the lightning get closer and closer and closer together I'm doing that thing where you count the seconds between the thunder and the lightning and I can't get any numbers in. The thunder and the lightning are happening at the same time and this is like the most exciting thing I've ever had ever happened to me that a storm is right on top of me. And then all of a sudden the light happens. This light that just takes the whole world away. And, you know, the light fades and then I hear from the living room my father's voice going and I think, oh, he's marveling at this storm in his corny-ass dad kind of way. I don't pay it any mind. I'm not really actually allowed to leave my bedroom due to the having been sent to bed early thing. So I don't move. I just keep looking out the window now that there's a window again to see. And a few seconds later, I hear it again, but louder. And I'm like, wow, he's really, he's really hemming it up out there, hemming it up all by himself. This is some storm for damn sure. And then a few more seconds go by and I hear my father exclaim, I got hit by lightning. I'm still confused. But I, I, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to leave my bedroom at this point, but I'm pretty sure I got hit by lightning as grounds for breaking the rules. So I walk out of the bedroom, my brother's behind me, my mother's behind him. 
and we find my father lying in a ball on his side on the living room floor. Dad, what happened? I told you I got hit by lightning. And I, I, I'm thoroughly befuddled because his hair is dry, his clothes are dry, he's clearly not been outside. How could he possibly have been hit by lightning? And I remember my little eight-year-old brother going, Dad, what the hell? I could be remembering that wrong, but we did curse a lot. We're from the woods. It happens. And my father goes, it came up through the light. It came up through the light. And I'm thinking, oh, God. Everyone in my family is a little on the bunker side, and I'm like, oh, my God, Dad's completely lost it. We're never getting out of the woods, literally. And he kind of slowly, gingerly gets to his feet, and he walks over to the deck door, and he leans his left hand against the light switch that turns on the porch light, and his right hand against the stainless steel door frame. And he said, I was looking at the storm. The, the lightning came up through the light switch, through my left hand, across my body, and over to my right hand leaning on the metal door frame. I got hit by lightning in our house. I asked him what that felt like and he said, getting hit with a hammer? And I don't remember any discussion of taking him to the emergency room. I just remember watching his color return to normal and the shaking stop and him saying, my heart feels like my heart again. I don't think we've talked about it since. Everyone, please welcome to the virtual stage, Amber Rallo. Hey, hi, everyone. I am. I'm so happy to be here. I've loved hearing all the stories. It's been amazing. I do want to warn everyone that's watching before I get into my story that I do talk about sexual assault in the story. And I also want to warn everyone that I am a stand-up comedian. And that means that comedy is one of my coping mechanisms. So there might be parts of the story that I joke about things and you're like, why is she joking? This is serious. And like, I know it's serious, but I am coping. That's my way of, it's like, I am Gretel and uh, the jokes are my little breadcrumbs so I can get out of the dark forest. Um, (laughs) I just want you to know that I know it's serious. But this story is from uh, last year. I went to a variety show in Manhattan to see my friend perform stand-up. It was a speakeasy, invite-only, put-on-by-and-for artists. Very cool. I love doing this. I am a comedian and a musician myself. So when I'm not performing, I like to go and see my friends perform. And this was October of 2019. And I was sitting there at the show beforehand with my friend Kelly, helping her get ready. And she 
turned and looked over my shoulder and she said, is that Harvey Weinstein? And without looking, I already knew it probably was because actually before Kelly had gotten to the venue, I had heard a rumor that Harvey Weinstein had come to this venue, a rumor that I was still processing and I wasn't going to burden Kelly with until after the show. Um, But sure enough, I turned my head and there he is with his dead face, just as ugly on the outside as he is on the inside. And he was at this booth across the room, one of only two booths in the venue. Uh, Everyone else was on folding chairs or sitting cross-legged on the ground. And he had a VIP card on his table and he had two women in the booth with him. Um, They were those type of women where like, You can't tell what age they are. They could have been 30. They could have been 50. They were in sparkly dresses. And my first thought was, I hope they're okay. And then there were two um, goons. I can't describe them any other way. Uh, You know what I'm talking about. Big dudes, obviously there to protect Harvey. And he probably needed that protection because, again, this was October of 2019. This was after he was arrested, but before the trial. So he was out on bail at this show. He was wearing his ankle monitor at this show. And um, I looked around and I took in the room as only a survivor can. I like took in everything all at once. I like looked for the exit and I saw that you had to pass by Harvey's table in order to get to it. And I looked to see if other people in the room were seeing Harvey there and were they reacting and they weren't pretty much. And I saw two producers talking to each other, seemingly unbothered by him being there. And again, I saw the VIP cardstock on the table. And all of these details told me, you know, what sort of danger I was in, who my allies were, and what I should do next. And then I remembered Kelly, my friend, who is one of my best friends, and I knew also a survivor, and she was supposed to perform stand-up comedy on this show. And my heart ached for her, and I, I turned to her and we started talking about what she was gonna do. And we we're like, are you going to do your regular material or are you going to call the room? And for those who don't know, calling the room is a stand-up term for um, calling out the uncomfortable thing in the room so that, um, the audience can let go of that tension and pay attention to jokes. We go back and forth and I'm like, it is a comic's job to call the room, but it's not a survivor's job to name and call out every predator we see. That's a lot of pressure. But she decides eventually that she's going to do it. She's going to call him out. And I'm like, yes, that's what I secretly wanted you to do, but I wasn't gonna tell you. Um, And I don't know. If she's really gonna do it, you know, once you get on stage, things can be different. But I saw her up on stage and she was pacing and I saw her choosing her words and she said, I know we can all see the elephant in the room. And I'm like, yes, Kelly, yes, the elephant, name it. And she was like, actually not the elephant, the Freddy Krueger in the room. And I was like, yes, get him go in and she was like i didn't know i needed to bring my rape whistle and mace to this comedy show tonight and i was like yes get him but i want her to say his name 
And as I am thinking this, I am noticing that the room is not laughing. Not only are they not laughing, they are booing. And I think maybe they're booing Harvey Weinstein. But then I hear someone say, shut up. I'm like, okay. Um, And later I realize or find out that the person who said shut up was the MC. And the people who were booing were some people who worked at the venue. So Kelly pivots to regular material and she gets off stage. She's a real pro about it, but I was really shocked by the way that the room reacted. Not because a woman comedian got booed, you know, sometimes that happens. There are some people who really don't like to hear a woman talk and they definitely don't like it when we have a microphone. I was surprised by the reaction though still because this wasn't any predator, right? This was Harvey fucking Weinstein. He's like the Bowser of the Me Too movement, you know? (laughs) I don't know how many times I've been in various situations talking to various people about other men, and they say, he's not great, but it's not like he's Harvey Weinstein. (laughs) This was Harvey Weinstein. Do you know what I'm saying? I was like, what? Anyway, Kelly and I are talking in the corner about what we're going to do next. And we decide we are going to leave at intermission. And um, I decide that I have to say something to him because I'm shaking with anger because I don't know if the audience understands exactly what just happened. Also, I want to create a distraction because remember, you have to pass by Harvey's table in order to exit. And I want Kelly to be able to get out. Before I can get to the table, another artist does before me. Their name is Zoe. I didn't know them at the time, but uh, I already liked them. And they stood there next to Harvey Weinstein's table and shouted at the room for not doing anything. And they were so right. They were like, why are you, how are you gonna let me stand next to this predator mere feet from him and you're not gonna say anything? And they were right, but they got kicked out of the venue, not Weinstein. And then it was my turn. And I nearly blacked out walking up to the table. I disassociated, I was watching myself outside of myself, tiny in this room that I could viscerally feel was not on my side. And at the wall, like the ringing in my ears was completely drowning out everything in the room. I also was hyper aware of everything going on. I could see Zoe being escorted out. I could see one of the producers make a quick exit. I could tell that Weinstein's table did not see me coming. Then I was there, there I was. Just a girl standing in front of a monster asking him to disappear. And I don't know exactly what I said, honestly, because I was a little cloudy because of the disassociation, but it was something like, um, they're right, you know, you shouldn't be here. You should disappear. You are a fucking monster. And I wasn't yelling and I wasn't on a stage and there was no video of it. It was more intimate. I was looking directly into his eyes and he was looking back at me, but his face had no reaction whatsoever. The women at his table, um, they averted their eyes, which felt like a personal affront. I know that 
monsters come in all genders, but um, I really wasn't ready for them not having my back. I don't know why. Um, and then there were the goons, of course. And the goon on the left addressed me first, and he said, who even are you? So I introduced myself, Amber Rollo, fuck you. That is really what I said. I don't know why I needed him to know my full name. Uh, I think it was my way of like roaring in the bear's face, trying to make him know I'm not afraid. Um, and then the goon on the other side called me a cunt. And that really upset me because cunt is one of my favorite words. And he really wasn't doing it justice, you know? I feel like when you say cunt, you gotta get it from like the solar plexus. You gotta like cunt and you like, you know, you gotta like, like, I, you know, I just like, I feel like you should have a, a shoulders and like a foot stomp. I just, he wasn't doing it. So he was goading me, right? I know he was goading me. And I felt like we were in slow motion as we both looked down between us and saw the glass of wine on the table. And he saw me see it. And I saw him see me see it. And I know he knew that I wanted to throw it in his face. What I don't think he realized is that I have gotten into my fair share of bar fights. And I think he was imagining me throwing the wine and I was imagining throwing the entire glass. Yeah. But I, I'm sober now and I no longer throw fists or drinks with witnesses. <laughs> Fight smarter, not harder, you know? So I, I stop myself and it is about this time that I'm asked to leave and I leave and Kelly leaves with me and I make sure she gets home safe. I take her home on the subway and then I take myself home on the subway and I'm scared. Suddenly I realize what a powerful person I just sort of attacked and I'm worried he's going to send someone after me. I'm like constantly looking over my shoulder the whole way home. And then I get home and I can finally breathe and process what a weird sort of twilight zone situation the whole night has been. And while I'm processing, I do what a lot of comedians do while processing something big. I tweet about it. And um, that tweet thread goes viral. And someone actually got Kelly's set on video. And so at her request, I add it to the thread and that goes viral. And suddenly the story is everywhere. I am getting phone calls from reporters at all hours of the night. It turns out that my phone number is in the white pages, which, <laughs> yeah, for you younger audiences, like, oh, the white pages is the phone book, yellow pages for businesses and white pages for people. And um, for the older audience, us younger people, we just don't like phone calls. We'd prefer to be texted. Um, so I'm taking these phone calls and the story is international news. And then something amazing happens. Harvey Weinstein's team has to respond. Harvey Weinstein had to respond to me. And I was like, oh, yes. And what he said, what his spokesperson said, was that what Kelly, Zoe, and I did was, quote unquote, downright rude. And I had to laugh because rude? That's what you're going with? Rude. You know what's rude? Rape. Rape's rude. So I, 
it threw me off, but uh, rude is actually something that normally would offend me. I am a very good girl. I am a habitual people pleaser. I am nice. I am not really great at standing up for myself, but I have four sisters and I can absolutely stand up for them. And I can stand up for my friends and I can stand up for the hundreds of thousands of people who are raped every year in this country. My sister Gina, she says standing up for other people is like my superpower. It's just, it gives me a fierceness that I wouldn't have on my own behalf, but I'm a survivor too. And I want to be able to stand up for myself. So I tried to fake it till I make it. I adopted the title downright rude. I wore it like a badge of honor on Twitter. I was Amber Rollo, downright rude. And I was not taking any more shit. And um, I started acting accordingly on Twitter. And the, um, the praise started rolling in. And it felt great. It was awesome. It felt powerful. I felt like I was helping. I felt like a superhero. And I had to fight the occasional villain, you know, like the the trolls, the rape apologists, but I took them on so easily. It was like nothing. They were like, I was like a cat and they were a ball of yarn I was playing with. No match for me at all. But then I got this new type of interaction. It was a woman she at first was very complimentary. She was like, what you did was awesome. And then she was curious. Why don't you talk about your own rapes? And I tried to explain that I just wasn't in a place, especially not in like this particular arena, social media. Then she said, I should be the hero that we need. And suddenly I wasn't a superhero anymore. Suddenly I was a victim again. I tried to explain to her and to be polite. I didn't want to be rude to this woman. She actually, she said she was a survivor too. But then she got accusatory. She was like, you're probably just doing this for attention. You're probably lying. And she was asking something of me. She was trying to take something from me without my consent. And I was saying no. And she clearly wasn't hearing me. She wasn't listening. I didn't know why she was doing it. I was crushed. I felt sick. I didn't understand. So I wanted to figure out why. So I looked her up. I found out that she dates a comedian. I was like, maybe it's because I have never worked with him. Um, And I found out she runs a communications firm. And I was like, maybe it's a publicity thing for her. Maybe that like, you're just doing this for attention was her projecting. And I actually don't know. I never found out because I wanted to help her. I wanted to protect her. She was a survivor, but I had just started learning how to stand up for myself. I wanted to protect that. So I ultimately ended up blocking her and I felt like a bad person for doing that. I still feel guilty about it, but I think it was the right decision because ultimately I can't help other people unless I'm strong myself. I am a survivor. I've been raped three times. And I don't really remember much about those times I was in and out of consciousness. I remember I didn't say yes. I remember drinking too much 
and going to sleep it off in a friend's room and waking up with someone on top of me. I remember taking a pill and waking up naked in a friend's bed. I remember waking up disoriented and sore with my tights on inside out at a stranger's house after having one beer the night before. I'm telling you guys all this tonight. I'm opening myself up to you with consent because I hope that hearing the full story will help you interact with survivors with love and compassion because people often demand victims to explain themselves you know they want to know why we react the way we react they want to know why we are angry or rude or quiet or people pleasing or why we have a hero complex why we joke about it why we don't why we protect ourselves in all these different ways why we fight flight or freeze and while i don't love that word victim um, it does get at being wounded and that's what we are we were wounded we were assaulted hurt i am wounded and i just wish sometimes the world would react by handing us a bandage and not a cape Thank you. This is Sean Colvin behind me now, and we just heard from Amber Rallo, who you can find on Twitter and Instagram at Amber C. Rallo. Now, Amber told that story at one of our live stream shows. Our next one is Friday, July 31st at 4 p.m. Eastern, which is 9 p.m. In London, we wanted to do another show that was kind of well-situated for folks on the other side of the world. 
<laughs> so where, wherever you are, do your research, Google what time it will be where you are, because I don't know, you might be in Africa or something. It's 4 p.m. Eastern, July 31st is our next Risk live stream show. And the one we just did this past weekend was once again, just amazing. These shows are just phenomenal. And of course, you can always get your tickets at risk-show.com slash tour. Now, before Amber, we heard from Jay Carpenter, who is a Risk fan who sent in an anecdote to us, you know, a short story. It lasted about five minutes long, and we trimmed it down about a minute. And there you go, a wonderful little story about lightning striking her father. That same thing happened to my mother, by the way, when she was, I think, six years old. And Jay Carpenter is an artist. You can find her at jcarpenterart.com. And then before that, we heard from Jenna Kahlo, of course, that recording that was done at Caveat. Folks, if you like good old-fashioned true crime mysteries, if you like stories where you feel like you're a detective finding clues, June's Journey is the name of this new game that you can play on your iPhone or your Android. You are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder. It's this well-to-do family in the 1920s living in a Great Gatsby-like mansion. Each scene uncovers new aspects of the story. Some parts are in New York. Some parts are in Paris. There's all kinds of objects you're finding and trying to assess whether they're meaningful or not. You collect information, filling out your own photo album, and you're keeping track of all the characters. There's romance, there's scandalous family secrets. It feels like a really fun play or movie. And I've only made it through like five scenes, but I am told you could crack the case. All you need is an internet connection and downloading on iOS or Android. So discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today.
At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter your search based on the qualities that are most important to you. Then you can book a free 15-minute consultation call with any therapist you're interested in seeing. So you can get a feel for whether they're the right fit before you commit to a full-length session. Alma also makes it easy for mental health care providers to navigate insurance. That's why 95% of therapists in their directory accept insurance for sessions. So you can find care that's affordable without stressing about the paperwork. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com therapy60 to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com therapy60. Let's get to our final story on this week's episode. I love this one so much. And not just because I love Jack. (laughs) But I love the journey that he describes in this story because I can relate to it so much. And I'm sure that so many people can. The journey of trying to find out how to make money doing something that you actually enjoy or value or love, you know? Goodness gracious. This was a really moving moment. One, another one, another very moving moment from one of our live streams a little while back. And Jack is the partner of David Crabb, uh, who works for Risk and the Story Studio. Here is Jack Perry now with a story we call Actor bartender, piano teacher. Insufficient funds. Bank account overdrawn. So I had been waking up to this text for a while now. I worked at a bar and restaurant that kept on writing those checks in accounts that had no money in them. And I hated working there. I I really did. I had been there for about three years. Three years of my 25 years total of working in restaurants and bars. Uh, When I was 15, I worked at Perkins Family Restaurant and Bakery, anyone? When I was 18, I became a waiter. Actually, my brother, all my brothers and sisters worked at Perkins. My brother met his wife at Perkins. Uh, We were all servers together. Uh, When I was 18, I was a bartender at Applebee's Family Restaurant. When I was 21, I was a waiter at the Corner Room in State College, Pennsylvania, where I went to school. When I was 22, I worked at Life Cafe in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I mean, I can continue, but we don't have much time. 25 (laughs) years, and I had had it. 
I just didn't care anymore. The bounce checks, of course, didn't help. But I really, I just, I couldn't care about the biodynamic wine that we were going to, like, have on special tonight for 19 bucks. I could care less about talking about the specials. And yes, yeah, totally. That's wild caught salmon. That's wild. Mm -hmm. And I, I couldn't, when I was bartending, I just didn't care about that mezcal that we were putting in the cocktail that was specially priced because it was made from a distillery in the middle of Mexico by women. I just, I mean, that's great, but I don't care. I would come home and I would be furious. I'd be full of anxiety. I'd be so lost. You know, I'm an actor too, and being an actor also means you're bartender, right? Like, that's the thing. That's who I was. But I was not happy. And I would come home to my husband, David, and I would try to work things out, but it just didn't work. And he would walk away, and I would still be mad. And I would look at my piano, and I would just sit down and go, ah, oh, this is what's going to help. Because the piano always helped. I would sit down, and I would play Robbins dancing on my own. I would play Pink. I would play Neil Young. I, I would bring out old recital pieces when I was a kid, like Chopin and Rachmaninoff. I can play Rachmaninoff. I got big hands. <laughs> you know, and it would calm me down. It would soothe me. I've been playing piano for 30 years, longer than I've been playing or doing anything else. I'd go to bed feeling better, and then I'd wake up again, insufficient funds. A couple days later, I was at work, and I had just sat a couple in the corner booth. See, I actually had turned to hosting because I was so unhappy being a waiter or a bartender that I thought, well, maybe if I just host and give people these tables, then uh, they'll be happy, and then I'll be happy. And I will say this. When you give people the corner booth, the prime table... It is like you have solved world hunger. The excitement, the, the passion, the, just the thrill you get from these people. They're just like, thank you. Which is completely <laughs> offset by the amount of disappointment and sometimes anger from every other person who didn't get that seat. I ran to the bathroom. As anyone who's worked in restaurants and uh, bars, the bathroom is where you take a break, right? And I got an email. And it was from my husband. And the title of the email said, you must quit your job, all caps. <laughs> I read it and it was well needed advice. And I took it and I quit. The next day I got an email. It wasn't from the owners. It was for an audition. And two days later I booked it and it's that thing, y'all. You close one door and the other one opens. The one you've been eyeing for a long time. And it was a beautiful short film. And we shot for two days here in Los Angeles. And at the end of the day of the second day, I was on set and I was talking to the director's husband. And uh, we were just actually talking about the piano that was in their living room. And I said, uh, hey, it's a beautiful piano. What do you do? And he said, oh, I'm, um, I'm a musician and a piano teacher. And I said... In my head, I said, piano teacher? Wait a minute, I've been, I've been playing piano for a long time. I, I mean, I mean, I taught people some songs here and there. I've played my friend's weddings. I've composed music for films. I've, 
can play Rachmaninoff, like I just mentioned, I can be a piano teacher, right? And it's that thing that I think we all go through, which is we just decide to be a thing. I decided one day I wanted to be an actor. So I said, I'm an actor. I decided one day I'm going to be a bartender. I don't want to be a waiter anymore. And I became a bartender. So I just said to myself, be a piano teacher, dude. So I did. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I made a website. I posted on Craigslist. And I don't know why I did that. That's weird. I posted on Craigslist. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and in the first month, I had eight students. It was instantaneous. And I couldn't believe it. We were, we were off. You know? Fuck bars and restaurants. I'm in. And the students were all in as well. Like, we were learning songs that they loved. And it wasn't just scales or, you know, a simple Bach piece. It was Neil Young. It was Sia. It was deconstructing pop. You know, I have a really good ear. I can pick up songs and just kind of play them, you know? So I was teaching this to my students. And the lessons were um, engaging and thrilling. And I could tell they really enjoyed it. And I was really enjoying it. A couple months later, though... I didn't have any new students. I had kind of maintained eight for about three months. And then I lost a student. And that really hit me because I thought, I'm, I'm doing it wrong. I'm doing it wrong. They didn't like my teaching style. I haven't gotten any new students. I'm an imposter. I should not be doing this. I, I got really in my head. And I, of course, immediately thought I should just go back to being a bartender. That's what I know how to do. It's who I am. And, uh... I uh, lowered my prices because I thought maybe that will attract them, you know? I really um, was afraid of insufficient funds. I kept thinking I would get that text again, not from my bosses, but because of my own doing. I got an email, actually, a couple days later in this panic, and it was a mom. And she said, hey, I went to your website. I think you'd be a good fit for my son. We've gone through two piano teachers, and um, I'd love for you to meet And I looked up her address and she was actually pretty far from where I lived. And I'm a traveling piano teacher. So financially, it didn't make so much sense. But insufficient funds kept just popping in my head. And I didn't want to go back to the bar. I didn't want to go back to a restaurant. So I said, sure, I'll be there tomorrow. I walk up. Mom opens the door. Her name is Sharon. Sharon is lovely. She says, hey, Jack, thanks for coming. Nice to meet you. Come on in. And I walk in and she says, uh... Jack, this is Andy. And I look, and Andy is about 10. He's got hair all in front of his face. I can see like one eye. He's like furiously kind of tapping his foot a little bit. And then up against the piano is a skateboard. And I said, oh, Andy, hey, so nice to meet you. And I go to turn to mom. I go, so, and uh, mom's gone. (laughs) So I go over to Andy, and he's actually pretty nice. We talk about music, and I talk to him about, you know, why I'm there and what kind of music we can play together and what we can learn together. And I said, what kind of music do you want to play? What, kind of, what, do you, what do you want to do? He said, I want to play the Beatles. And I was like, yeah, all right, cool, let's play the Beatles. So we pulled up a Beatles song, and for like 15 minutes, we're playing. You know, we are all in. And I'm thinking, this is great. Like, why can't this happen all the time? You know, I need more students.
about 15 minutes, he stops playing and he looks at me and he says, you want to see my retainer? (laughs) And I said, yeah, totally. I'd love to see your retainer. And uh, he takes his retainer out of his mouth, shows it to me, and then he throws it at me. And it hits me and it goes on the floor. And I was like, I was like, of course, speechless. I didn't know what to say or do. All I kept thinking was, he threw his retainer at me. He threw his retainer at me. His disgusting purple retainer threw it at me. I didn't know what to say, so I just looked at it and I went, don't, don't put that back in your mouth. Just, just keep it there. <laughs> Which, of course, meant that he picked it up and put it back in his mouth. Because he's 10. You know, and he's laughing, but he's not, it's not like maniacal laughing. It's just like, wasn't that funny? So I finished the lesson and I walk out and I am just like, oh boy, I think this might be a new low. Here I am. I haven't had a new student in a couple months. This is my new student. This is the kind of student that I'm now teaching. Um, It wasn't even at my rate. It was too far. It was not a great day. So I, I drove home and I just kept thinking though, insufficient funds, insufficient funds. It's okay, you've got this. We can make this work. I get home and you know, I'm about to tell Davey about Andy. And I walk into the office and David looks at me and he says, what is this? And he's pointing at the computer and there was the secret loan I had taken out the month before. I was so focused on making it work and not going back to my old life that I took one of those things you get in the mail saying like, you are approved for this offer for $4,000. And I took it and I got $4,000 and I was able to coast by without anyone's knowledge. (laughs) And (laughs) Davey found out and um, it was super clear that um, the gig was up. I had tried and I think I had failed and for me to continue to do this, I needed to get another job. It was okay to still be teaching my students and I could still act, I could still audition, but I had to get another part-time job to make this work. And that job, of course, had to be in a bar or a restaurant because that's what I knew how to do. That's who I am. I answered an ad on Craigslist and after two interviews, I got the job. It was for a manager of a restaurant. A manager, y'all. If anyone's ever worked in a restaurant, we all know managers make half the amount of money than everybody else and double the time of work. But in my state, I thought it was penance in a weird way. I just thought, I deserve this. This is what I'm supposed to be doing right now. This is who I am. And just do it, man. You have insufficient funds. You got to make some funds. And then I got an email from Sharon. Sharon said, hey, I know we've got a lesson tomorrow, but uh, I just want to let you know that my mom died last week. It's a little weird here, but I think you should still come. And I said, I don't have to come. It's totally fine. I can come the next week, you know? And she said, no, no, please, if you could, I think it'd be really good for Andy. So next morning, I ignored the restaurant email and I just drove to this lesson, my final lesson. And uh, as I'm walking up to the door, I'm hearing screaming and the door opens 
And it's Sharon. She says, hey, Jack. And I was like, hi. <laughs> and I, I walk in, and I can see that Andy is all the way down in the kitchen, and he's pulling food out of the cabinets and slamming them on the counter, and he's screaming, you promised me. You promised me. You promised me. And she said, it's going to be okay. He'll, he'll be with you in a minute. So I went to the piano and he stopped screaming. I waited and he came, sat down at the bench and he was rage personified. He was, he couldn't even talk. He just sat down, stared straight ahead. There was no music in front of him. He was just breathing heavily. And I said, hey man, what's up? And he said, nothing. And I was like, oh man, this is, this is not good, Jack. It's not good. You, you, you shouldn't be doing this anymore. You're, we're, we're in a weird place. And I said, um, you know, we don't have to play anything. We can just kind of talk. We can, we can do whatever, you know? And he looked at me and he said, you want to know what happened? And I said, I know what happened. He said, my Nana died. The funeral was yesterday. And I said, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry, man. I don't know what to say, you know? I was just like, oh. And then I said, maybe we can just play some music for her. How does that sound? If there was a song we could play like right now, what would it be? And he said, without missing a beat, Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots Part One. <laughs> and I said, what? And he said, Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots Part One. Okay, like this is like a late 90s, early aughts flaming lips song, and he's 10 years old, right? That was not what I was expecting, but I said, okay. So we brought it up, we listened to the melody, we found the chords, I taught it to him. By the end of the lesson, we had half the song down. It was magic. Lesson's over, and I I take the chair back into the kitchen. And as I walk in, (laughs) Mom is pulling out a pizza from the oven. And it turns out the thing that she had promised Andy was that she was going to make him some food before the piano lesson, but she forgot. He instantly grabs a slice of pizza. I kind of want to grab a slice of pizza, but I don't. And uh, I look at Sharon, and she just says, I'll give him this. He's got good taste in music. And he says, I got it from you. And then he, with pizza in hand, just goes up to her and just gives her a big hug. And I said... Okay, uh, well, this is, thank you so much, um, and we'll, we'll see you next week. You know, I'm like holding back. And I get in the car and I kind of break down a little bit, but it's not from sadness. It's because I just know what to do next. I email the restaurant and I say, thanks, but no thanks. I got to keep this going. Well, I still teach Andy, and I teach about 25 other students. Mostly kids, some adults, 
you know, and we play the things that these people want to play. And I'm helping kids compose music. I had an eight-year-old play me an original song that brought me to tears. I've got a 15-year-old who's going through such a hard time being at home with his parents that he told me he had a breakdown. And I told him it was okay. Let's just find some music to work through it. You know, thinking of COVID and everything that's happening right now, I, I couldn't even get a restaurant or bar job if I tried. And I'm an actor and no one is casting anything. So I've got this, and I gotta tell you, this is way better than giving people that corner booth. Thank you. The name is Yoshima. She's a black belt in karate. Working for the city. She has to discipline her body Cause she knows that It's demanding To defeat those evil machines I know she can beat them Oh, Yoshima They don't believe me But you That is all for this week's episode, folks. This is The Flaming Lips behind me now, and we just heard from Jack Perry, who you can find at jackperrypiano.com. Just a little update since that story was recorded. Jack now has more students during quarantine than he did before. The online training is going great, so that's lovely. That was, of course, recorded at one of our live stream shows. The next one is Friday, July 31st at 4 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 p.m. London time. And wherever else you are, just Google <laughs> Google the time difference there. You can get your tickets at risk-show.com slash tour. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And I dare you, I dare you to look at the episode description of this episode you're currently looking at because there you will see the links to all the things that you should know about in order to be more engaged and more supportive of the risk community. You will see uh, it says there, I'm reading it right now, right off of my little podcast player on my phone, support risk on Patreon at patreon.com slash risk. 
Or you can make a one-time donation to Risk at paypal.me slash risk show. You can get tickets to all Risk live shows at risk-show.com slash tour. You can find the Risk book at theriskbook.com. You can take storytelling classes with us at thestorystudio.org. You can hire me, Kevin Allison, to make a personalized video for you at cameo.com slash thekevinallison. You can hire me as your coach at kevinallison.com and subtext uh, i'm looking at an old one so subtext isn't listed there but if you go to join subtext.com slash risk show you can join that texting service i'm now doing get texts from me every day with behind the scenes gossip and tips on storytelling and seeking your input about the show and talking about the stories themselves all super fun and i reply directly to you the risk fan there on subtext it's free for the first two weeks and then five bucks a month if you want to continue now by the time you hear this it might be too late but i am teaching a master class called eight ways to improve your storytelling uh, that is at 6 p.m eastern it's going to be a big zoom thing for about 90 minutes and you can find out more about that at thestorystudio.org. We're doing more of those as well, more of those master classes by various of our Story Studio teachers. There's a two-day level one online group storytelling workshop with Cindy Freeman on August 8th and 9th at 1.30 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern. So all of that information is at thestorystudio.org. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. Oh, Yoshime, they don't believe me, but you
Like a dog with a 